I, I think we would collectively be happier with the temperature if we didn't deal, have to deal with the smoke too, right? It's not like we can really uh, enjoy this incredible weather the way that we would like to on an uh, uncharacteristically warm Alaskan summer, but here we are. So, uh, you know, just do what you have to do. I think the next couple of days we're still going to be smoky and it looks like it's still going to be warm, so take care of yourself. Now, we had a few people who actually stayed home this morning because they've got uh, breathing issues and just didn't want to venture out into the, the atmosphere this morning. So remember them, keep them in prayer, and then you do what you've got to do to take care of yourself. All right, so we're continuing in our series in Jonah. I'm going to pick up sort of where we left off last week. As I mentioned uh, when we started this series, there'll be times where we'll actually cover the same text or some of the same text, but with a different, uh, different emphasis. And so we're actually going to go back and start at verse 1, just so that uh, we can have context for what comes after. I'm not going to go back through those. Uh, if you missed last week, you can find it on our webpage, on the podcast page. We have an audio version. We didn't have video last week because we had some technical issues, but we have the audio version is posted from last week, which was really the official kickoff of this series. So here, today, we're going to talk about the lengths that God will go to chase after his children, um, the measures that God is willing to take, even when we maybe sometimes turn and run in the opposite direction. Uh, now, we may not see it manifested in the same way that it is in this story, but uh, maybe you've had an experience that you can identify, that you can relate to this story. So if you want to go with me again to the book of Jonah, it's in the Old Testament. There's, a, there's about seven or eight small books toward the end of the Old Testament uh, that are uh, some of what they call the, the minor prophets. Uh, and they mean minor only in the, the respect that the volume of what they wrote wasn't very large. Uh, as opposed to Isaiah, where we look at the book of Isaiah, and there's a lot of text there. And so he would be referred to as one of the major prophets. But Jonah here is included among the minor prophets because we just have this short little story. And if you weren't with us and you're not aware, I just want to recap one thing. There are a lot of people who think that, uh, have the opinion that Jonah is a metaphorical story, this idea of, of this guy existing and and then being swallowed by a great fish, that these are too fantastical to be true, and so they're just, they're word pictures that we can relate to, and yet we find in both the Old Testament, uh, a couple of places, and then Jesus himself in the New Testament referred to Jonah as a historical figure, as someone who actually existed, and even some of the content of this story that we would look at and say, man, that's crazy, that could never happen, and yet we understand that uh, anything in the hands of of, uh, of God, he can will to happen if he so chooses. Uh, and so God has the power and the ability to utilize a, a great fish to swallow a guy for three days and then throw him back up on the beach if he wants to. Um, we don't have that power, but God most certainly does. So we're going to start back there in verse 1 to remind us of where we are. What's the circumstance that we find ourselves in? And so it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And that's where we ended last week, that uh, even we maybe find ourselves sometimes wanting to, uh, to not really obey God. We hear him. He tells us things to do, places to go, uh, will, his will for our lives in certain areas, and we may find ourselves wanting to do just exactly what Jonah did and running in the opposite direction. I shared about how I knew as a, as a very young man that God had called me to ministry, but I ran from that for about 10 years, just doing other things. And it wasn't that I was out being all crazy and doing all kinds of bad stuff. I just wasn't doing what he told me to do. And maybe you can identify with that in some areas of your life. And so then we pick up that story in verse 4 when we think about the lengths that God will go to get our attention, to, to redirect us, to draw us back to where he wants us to be. And so we find it in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now we can take and, you know, maybe, maybe even today God would, would throw a literal storm in your path if you were going in a direction that he didn't want you to go. If we're take, talking in physical terms, is God still capable, is God still able to, to put barriers, physical barriers in our way and try to redirect us back in the direction that he wants to go? I think that he is. Probably if we surveyed this group, we might find at least one story like that. Maybe not exactly like this, but something that reminds us of this. But maybe, maybe the storm isn't so much a physical storm, but maybe it's a circumstantial storm that arises around you. You find yourself going in a direction that you know is not the direction that God wants you to go. It's not the direction either that he's explicitly instructed you to go or it's a direction that you know he doesn't desire for you. And have you ever seen God begin to just place obstacles in your way, circumstances not working out in your favor, things even crumbling down around you. Sometimes that may feel like, in fact, I've heard people say this before, that this is an element of a, of a message that I preach about every two years about why do bad things happen to good people or why do bad things happen to us. And there's, there's a handful of reasons, and, and we're going to, this connects to one in particular, usually the last one that I share, but there's... Um, you know, first and foremost, the Bible tells us that, that good and evil rains down on the just and the unjust. Uh, sometimes it's just the way of life that bad things happen. Uh, we're not exempt as believers from the troubles and, and struggles and trials of this world. In fact, Jesus even indicated that we might be more subject to it because we follow Christ. Because his enemy, uh, Satan, is the lord of this dominion, this earthly dominion. He has some power and control that he has over this. And there's a war between God and he over the circumstances of our lives. And so it may be sometimes that it's just the way that life is. Sometimes it's the enemy who's attacking you. And sometimes bad things happen in our lives because we do stupid things. We make bad choices. 
we go in the wrong direction. And then when we reap the, 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 the consequence of that in some way, and I've heard people cast it this way, they'll be like, why is, why is God so mad at me? Why is God so angry? Why is God punishing me? And I would suggest to you that maybe, not, maybe God's not punishing you, but maybe if you're a child of God, he is trying to discipline you. See, punishment often has as its goal, as its end game, is revenge. It's judgment. It's kind of a comeuppance for whatever you've done. But discipline always has the purpose of redirection, getting us going in the right direction. If you're a parent or you've had the opportunity to, to be a parent to kids who aren't even maybe yours, but you've had that opportunity to pour into the lives of children and you see them in the circumstances that they are, uh, hopefully you really understand the difference between punishing a child and disciplining a child. Because one, punishment serves the need of the one who's punishing to have some sort of payment for what's been done wrong. But discipline is for the benefit of those who have gone astray and need to be redirected. And so I would suggest to you here that God is not punishing Jonah, he's disciplining him. He's not angry with him that he says, man, I gotta, I gotta get a pound of flesh out of Jonah because he didn't do what I told him to do. No, he's sent now a circumstance where he's going to try and redirect Jonah to where he wanted him to be in the first place. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. And so then in verse five, we continue. It says, the mariners, the, the sailors, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. There's a couple of things here. Well, let me land on one. We'll come back to the other. So you see the measures that they took. Must have been a, a terrible storm. Anybody ever watch uh, Deadliest Catch? Yeah? Or what about that, uh, what's the movie with is it George Clooney? Perfect Storm, right? About the, the bar out there off the eastern, northeastern coast, places like Maine and stuff like that, where they have to get out past this this incredible reef out there where the breakers are happening in the ocean in order to get out to the, to the fishing grounds and then be able to come back in. And, and when storms arise, man, it becomes an incredibly dangerous place. I've watched guys try to, try to scoot their boats into St. Paul here uh, in Alaska, a very narrow entrance to that. And they actually have a coast guard inside and sometimes stationed outside when the weather's right. And the, the captains will, will sit there in their boats and try to time their entrance to when the wave action is happening so that the waves actually help them get through as, as opposed to hinder them. And the Coast Guard is there giving them kind of the high sign saying, wait, 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 now go. And then it's, man, it's just push on the gas and off you go. Um, I don't know about you. Karen's always trying to get me on a, a cruise. We've, we've talked about this before. And I love the idea of, you know, laying around in the sun in the tropics on a boat unlimited food and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm intimidated by the ocean. 
It is a powerful, powerful force that can be so unpredictable. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, out there, you're out there in the middle of a, it feels like a big boat when you're on it, but if you put it in perspective, it's not very big. And I've been on some ships when I worked in Valdez uh, during the oil spill in very heavy seas, 25, 30 foot seas. No thank you. Uh, it's terrifying to me. And so I think about these guys. These are experienced sailors. These guys are running cargo all the time, but this storm has come up and it's so violent and so frightening that they've begun to take and throw their precious cargo over the sides to try and keep that boat as high in the water as possible. That tells me that probably the waves were beginning to break over the sides of the boat and they were afraid that it was going to get toppled and turned over. And where do we find the child of God? Not just on the boat going in the direction that's opposite of where God told him to go, but we find the prophet of God now has gone not only on the boat, but he's gone to the furthest part in the boat away from where all of the action is happening. So even Jonah here in this small space is trying to control how far he is away from God. He's gotten as far away as he can. Not only has he gotten as far away as he can, but he's gone down into the bottom, into the innermost part of the ship, and he's fallen asleep, probably like we have at times when life is tough, when circumstances are difficult, when things aren't going the way that we think that they should go. Sometimes when we find ourselves outside the will and direction of God, that blessed sleep can give us at least a period of relief from turning it over in our minds and having to make phone calls or having confrontations or to deal with the heartbreak that we've caused or the heartbreak that we've experienced. We get some refuge and here we find Jonah. <clears throat> and so sometimes our response to when God tries to discipline us, tries to direct us, tries to, to lovingly move us back in the direction that he's asked of us and we've run in the opposite direction, sometimes our response is to run even farther and harder in the opposite direction as we can. Now in a worldly sense, our I don't know, our, our probably common way that we might deal with that, our inclination towards that kind of behavior in, in someone else would be to be angry, to cut them off, to leave them to their own devices. And yet we see here, as we follow through this story, God continues to pursue, even though now twice Jonah has shown that he wants to ignore what God is telling him God doesn't leave him alone. God doesn't pull his hands off. Jonah fled, and then he fled further down into the boat, and God still pursues him. And it reminds us of the lengths that God will go to direct us in our lives. So then a whole lot of stuff happens there. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to land at verse 12. So uh, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? That's a, it's quite the dig, isn't it? You sleeper. 
Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And right now they don't know really who Jonah is or what Jonah is about. They're just saying, look, the rest of us are up here praying out to whatever God it is we believe in. If you've got one, give us a hand. Maybe yours will pay attention because right now what we're doing isn't working. And so then they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. We don't know exactly how they did this, but it's just, it's a, it's a game of chance that people still today, right, believe that uh, there may be some supernatural power behind. It's like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's like, hey, uh, draw straws. They did something like that. And it fell to Jonah. Jonah got the short straw. And so they said, oh, it must be you. They were right. I don't know if God orchestrated that. I don't know if God works through drawing straws, but um, it's how we make all of our decisions around here, so I guess it's okay. Um, <clears throat> they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where are you from? What is your country, and of what people are you? Now, these are interesting questions that they're asking. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Um, of what people are you? I think maybe these sailors had begun to get an idea of who Jonah was because the reputation of the people of God had definitely spread throughout the land. And there were plenty of stories of the power of Jehovah manifesting in different ways and different stories. You can read all about them through the text of the Old Testament and these things that the people of the regions would know. And I think they began to suspect because they're really drilling down into the details. Hey, where do you work? What do you do? Who are you? What God do you worship? What country are you from? What are you, what are you all about, man? And then he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. <clears throat> so they understood the importance of, of Jonah running from the Lord. So then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. A principle that's often overlooked as we sometimes find ourselves being rebellious towards God is that our rebellion, our disobedience against God can bring other people to harm. That's what's happening here. Because of Jonah's circumstance, these men are in danger. They recognize now who he is and who he worships, and, and they say, what have you done to us? Why would you bring this calamity upon us? What if Jonah had stayed on the boat? We're going to see the rest of the story. 
He said, throw me into the sea. They try some other stuff. They throw more stuff off. They row really hard against, against the storm, but they still can't make it. The storm still is overtaking them. And eventually, they indeed tossed Jonah over into the water, and it says that the sea was immediately made calm. But what if Jonah had stayed on the boat? What if we persist in our disobedience? What if we insist on our own way instead of God's way? Are we putting those around us at continued risk because of our choices? And then finally, they rode, they tried to get back to dry land, the sea grew more, the tempest was against them, and then in verse 14, it says, therefore they called out to the Lord, not even their God. But we see this again and again in Scripture, where those around the people of Israel recognize who God is and his power, and they will, they will acknowledge Jehovah for who he is, and they do. They prayed to the Lord, they said, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they're basically saying, hey, God, um, this is your guy. I don't know what he's doing, but he's messed something up because you're apparently after him. And so we're going to throw him over into the water, which means he's going to drown. Don't hold it against us. So then they toss him over. It says in verse uh, 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now that's interesting. Is Jonah still doing what God told him to do? Is he there yet? No? No? Um, what's that? He's starting. And what has he done now? He has, he has now submitted himself to the mercies of God. Because Jonah is not going to save himself in the middle of the ocean. So what Jonah has done is he's recognized his circumstance. He can't get to where he knows now that he's supposed to be, although he's still going to wrestle with it for a little bit longer. But he does throw himself to the mercy of the Lord. And when he does so, those around him who are not believers begin to believe. Because Jonah said, get rid of me, I'm the problem. I'll deal with it between me and God and I'll, I'll leave it up to him what he wants to do. They tossed him into the sea. The sea was calmed and it says that then those Sailors, those mariners, feared the Lord exceedingly. And that word feared there means that they, they recognized the power of the God that they had not worshipped up until this moment. They saw something they'd never seen before, and they were awestruck. 
And so then they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, to Jehovah, and they made vows before him because Jonah was now trying to be obedient. That's powerful. And then finally, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'm always entertained by those TV show things, you know, where they try to figure out if it was a fish, what kind of fish could it have been? You know, it wasn't a whale because whales don't follow, you know, don't swallow giant things whole. Um, I don't know what kind of fish it was. It was a big fish. It swallowed him whole. And somehow, God miraculously allowed Jonah to survive in the belly of this fish for three days. And this is where I want to bring us to, to wrap this up. Let's then, I want you to apply the arc of this story to your own life, and you can probably identify, just like I can, places where I was not in the will of God, I was being disobedient, I was being rebellious. He came to me, he disciplined me, he redirected me. I, I made my efforts to get back to where he wanted me to be. And in that moment, probably just like Jonah, don't you think Jonah was thinking, I should have just gone to Nineveh? I mean, is this where you would want to be? I mean, what's it like in the belly of a fish? I mean, you've been to the grocery store when it's the end of the day and the seafood department's cleaning up. Do you, do you enjoy the smell? Have, have you been to the, the cleaning tables in Seward where they throw all the junk over the side and it's down there in those bins until they go and they tow it out to sea and throw it out later in the day? I mean, if we take this story literally, Jonah's in the belly of a fish with a bunch of fish food, digested, ing, digesting. As bad as he thought Nineveh would be, it probably would have been better than the belly of the fish. Where are you right now in relationship to where God wants you to be, where God is leading you to go? Now, in this case, we could point to Nineveh and say it's a destination, but that wasn't Jonah's only work in his life for God. It was one of the things that God wanted Jonah to do. And the same is true for you. I'm not, I'm not asking, are you at the destination that God has called you to? I'm asking, are you going in the right direction? And if the answer to that is no, have you seen the work of God around you as he's tried to redirect you, to discipline you, to move you in the right direction? And if so, what is your response to that? What are you doing? Are you going deeper and further away? Are you driving yourself further in the opposite direction? Or are you beginning to respond and give yourself to the mercies of the Lord and allowing him then to do the work in you that he needs to do to get you to where he wants you to go? It's... It's so much more about being on the path with God than it is about being on the destination with God. 
I'm not sure there ever really is a destination in this life, in our walk with God. He simply says, follow me. Wherever he's going, we go. And so whatever your circumstance is here today, I would ask you the question, if you're being rebellious, if you're going in the wrong direction, if you're making decisions and choices about your life that you know are in direct opposition to what God wants you to do or to be or, or where he wants you to go, you will, if not now, you will come to a place where you'll think to yourself, I wish I had just gone to Nineveh. So why don't you start that journey back today before you get swallowed by a giant fish? Would you stand with me for closing prayer? There's another passage of scripture. It's found in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. When we think we're, we're managing God, when we think we're out, uh, out foxing the will of the Lord, you know, we're, we're making our own way. And that like Jonah, we think, well, if I just get on this boat and go to this furthest place that I can go, then, you know, maybe God can't reach me there. We remember these words from the psalmist where he says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The length that God will go, even when we're running in the opposite direction, is that he allows his presence to be everywhere that we are. He's seeking for your good. And you cannot escape his presence. If you find yourself in rebellion, my heart's prayer for you would be that you would turn. Submit to God his desires for your life. And go where he wants you to go. Let him lead you forward in the journey of your life. So let me pray for you. If that's you this morning, I just want you to offer up that prayer to the Lord that he'll lead you, that he'll direct you, that, uh, that you'll, you'll get back to him. You'll get back to his purpose and, and what he intends and designs for your life. We're going to sing one more song uh, together this morning. Ask the worship team to come back and join us. It'll be our closing and then a couple of announcements. So as they come, let me pray for you and give you a blessing this morning. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.